We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show where we talk with accomplished chess players, authors, and personalities about their lives, their careers, and how to improve at chess. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters and by Chessable.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have the original Perpetual Chess guest in a right of winter rivaled only by Tata Steele in the Super Bowl, the January reappearance of the founder of the Pro Chess League, the founder of the U.S. Chess School, 42-year-old adult improving, 2700 chess.com blitz rated international master greg shahadi welcome back to the show sir hey what's going on how you doing it's great to be here very excited highlight of my year every year excellent glad to hear it i feel that i feel the same way um most downloaded show of all time our first interview greg um people just can't get enough of it and by and every person who's downloaded it has definitely listened to it and I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that it was the first show. <laughs> right, yeah. Complete, by no, complete coincidence. By no means did thousands of people decide they're going to listen to them all and then listen to it and say, all right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Never again. Um, we kid, of course. You are always a popular guest and an old friend, of course. And Greg, we got to start with uh, with chess improvement. So you've been grinding hard on the Blitz. 
Um, I know you've been, you put out a long video about how you use Chessable. Um, some people don't, you know, might be a little offended that you're focused only on Blitz, but tell us about your chess efforts. What's going on with your chess game, Greg? I wouldn't say it's focused only on Blitz. Like, I think all of my improvements will would definitely show themselves in slower time control. It's just, we're playing online these days and the time controls are fast, you know? Um, I gotta give a huge shout out. I gotta give a huge shout out to Chessable. Um, because without Chessable, I would not be able to learn the openings the way that I have. It's just impossible. Like the, the, the way that it quizzes you with the space repetition is just perfect. And you know, like I'm decent chess, I'm a good chess player, right? but I'm not the best, but my openings are so good at this point, especially when somebody can't specifically prepare for me. That I don't care who I'm playing. I feel like I'm going to get a fine position in the opening against everyone. Like it happens in title Tuesday. You see me beating these guys sometimes, right? Like Shirov twice, crushing them in the opening, both games. Uh, Fabiano, totally equal out of the opening. You know, Hikaru, I was equal. Alexenko, I was, I messed up, but I was better actually because he, he messed up back. Um, and it's just so common for me to just be better against like really, really good players. So like, you know, still most of the time they'll outplay me somehow, but it really does help to have a good position in chess. <laughs> um, and so I think it's given me like a hundred points in, in like blitz rating skill. Well, and that's the, that's been the main thing. Like openings really do matter. Okay. But I mean, you're, you're also 2,700 blitz. I think that they might not matter quite as much for lower rated players, but although they matter for everyone. Oh, I think they, um, I think they do for everyone. See, here's the thing. People just don't know how to study them. Like, first of all, the fact that I'm already good helps me to study openings. Cause I can like kind of understand something by seeing it. I don't need anyone to like spoon feed it to me too much. Like most of the chessable work I've done has not been their courses. But the only course that I've really used extensively is Jan Gustafsson's. Uh, although I'm starting Anish Giri's Nidorf course. I finally decided to learn. Oh, wow, well. man. I don't, you'd be fierce with the Nidorf. But here's the thing with that. It's a long process. Like I don't expect to be playing it for like four months, six months. Like I'm just starting it now with the idea that like it's just something I'm gonna do in my spare time. You know, like the the, the seeds are forming up there, and in a few months, like once I've been doing it nice and slow and steady, I'll actually have it as a real opening. But it takes a while. So I'm not in any rush. So what's your approach when you learn an opening like that? Like some people say practice against computers so that you're actually getting games in. Some people say just start playing it right away. Other people might wait until things are perfected. It sounds like you're kind of in the last category. Well, the thing is right now, I, I have a feeling that like, I, I feel like you should pick an opening that's good that will stand the test of time. Um, especially if you're like lower rate. Like if you're not trying to be like world champion and you just want to be like, whatever, like FM or I mean, obviously lower, sure. But like even like 2,400, like you can just play the same good opening every game maybe with like some small variation if you're like scared of people preparing for you, but like, but pick something good. Uh, um, and like, so it's like, I pick this E4, E5 stuff, right? And I play E4, I play solid lines and I just learn so much every game. It's like somebody will try something against me that I haven't seen, it still happens. And then I know it. Like, like for instance, I played in that 10 minute tournament, you know, to qualify for the US championship. Elshan Muradi, Muradi Abadi, he actually found something I hadn't quite studied. Um, and that was annoying because it was an important game and he kind of crushed me. But then in title Tuesday, Hikaru plays the same thing. Now I know what to do. And I got a totally good position against Hikaru because I had 
seen it already. And so when you switch openings a lot, like there's just so many things they can do against your opening. Like against E4, E5, there's like a thousand things they can do almost that are like reasonable. And, you know, when you get the, if you keep playing it, like, you know, it's good. Like nobody's going to just crush it. My opening is not refutable. Um, and so the experience really, really, really matters. I don't know if I'm answering your question. Basically, my theory is you should play the same. It should be a good opening. It shouldn't be the dragon, probably, if you want to get really, really, really good. Okay, but I mean, most people listening are not trying to... I mean, they would love to be FMs, but mm -hmm. but that's not the most proximate goal for most people Sure, listening. but here's the thing. You never know, right? Like, let's say somebody wants to get 1,800, right? And then they get 1,800, and they're like, oh, cool. I want to get 2,000. Then they get 2,000. Then they're like, now I want to get 2,200. Now, all of a sudden, the fact that you're playing a crap opening is starting to matter. Okay, and but so again, like, you're not mm -hmm. describing the typical experience of a club player. I mean, sure, but why are, not just play something good? No, that I agree with. I'm you just know, like, there's no benefit to playing a worse opening. Yeah, right? I'm just saying people are grinding. They're trying really yeah. hard, trying to gain oh, 100, totally. 150 points. You know, like that. That yeah. would be great. But I just, you just never know like what's going to happen in five years in your chess career. You can't envision it. And if you're playing an opening that's not sound or not great. In five years, all that work might be like, oh, I wish I had been. I, I wish I had been playing good openings when I was younger. Right. Um, I played fine ones, but like I did waste a lot of time playing with stuff like the dragon stuff. I knew wasn't actually good, you know. And it's like, I don't know. I recommend solid good openings. And where and are you? What's up, Bone? Where are you on the controversial London opening? Oh, it's hmm. That's a good question. It's probably okay. Um, so for listeners who aren't familiar, I mean, I think a lot of people are, but basically the London, it seems fine. You develop yeah. your pieces, you're fighting for the center. So it's not like, you know, so, some total crap opening, like one B3, no. shout out to Geert from Chessable. Um, but on the other hand, it's not the most pressing. You're not, you're not making forcing moves from the beginning. And mm -hmm. some strong players are of the opinion, like our recent popular guest, I am Andres Toth, that you've got to play principled. You've got to fight, fight, fight. And others are just like, whatever. There's so much to get better at at chess. That, yeah. You know, you've got to pick your battles. And I admit, I fall a bit in the latter camp. I feel like openings like the London are fine. Um, but there's plenty of, of players stronger than me that come down on the other side of the argument. Um, I think that, I mean, first of all, Magnus plays for London a decent amount. Right. So and got a, got what are you going to say, right? Yeah. He's a good player. Magnus strong. Kamsky's strong. Um, I think it's a fine opening, like, cause it's still an opening that you're going to learn. Like it's, it's not bad for white, right? You're still going to usually get like, if you know, if you play it perfectly, right? So if you play it for like five years and you really study it hard, you're probably, you know, often going to get a slight, slight advantage. Um, you're not going to see like a great variety of positions, but I don't think it's the ideal choice, but I don't think it's a bad choice. I think like there are bad choices. Like, like if you play the wing gambit or something, like right. it's, just, it's just not good. Uh, I mean, it's like as a surprise weapon every now and then, but like to make it your main opening is just kind of like, I, I'm, I, I understand people play chess for different reasons. Right. So like some people play cause it's fun to gambit pawns. Right. I'm more of like a competitive, Oh really? <laughs> I'm just saying I don't want to like say that you can't play the dragon. Right. It's just like I think like from my standpoint, it's in, it's impractical when it comes to improvement. Okay. Um, uh, I oh, sorry, go on. I mean, you could go on if you want. I mean, the dragon's not like a terrible opening. It's just probably like you know slightly worse in a few lines, and it's just not. Once you get those lines, you start to realize they're not fun, you know. And it's just like, why would I 
voluntarily go into this position against every good player when I can just play e4, e5, and, or, or like the knight or or something. Right. Well, I mean, any opening that is never played at the elite level, there's probably a reason for it. So that, but again, that doesn't mean club players can't play it, but Greg is just giving you a warning. Um, so since we're on the topic, Greg, we're going to hop into the first Patreon mailbag question. We got some good ones. Um, so this one is from Mark Fitzpatrick. Thank you for the support, uh, Mark. And Mark says, I would appreciate any advice I am Shahadi might have on the best way for beginners to study their opening repertoire once they've picked something they plan to stick with. For Mark, it is D4 with white and the Sveshnikov and Nimzo Rogozin with black. Um, he's a typical adult improver with a great enthusiasm for chess but limited time. And while I'm sure I'll learn to appreciate the nuances of my opening choices in the years to come, I would like to get as much practical value as possible out of this part of my study in the short term too. How many lines should one learn? And how many moves deep is appropriate at this stage of one's chess journey? That's a great question. That's a great question. So first, let's talk about those openings. Sveshnikov, fantastic opening. Fantastic. You can play it for the rest of your life. It will never be refuted. You know, the lines I play against the Sveshnikov is just like, I don't think I'm better in them. I just like, they're okay, right? Um, the Nimzo Rogozin, also very good openings. Um, and D4, of course, is a good move. So one thing I would... I, I do like chessable. Chessable, like Sam Shanklin has three courses out on D4. Uh, so like a complete opening repertoire. So what you can do there, I mean, obviously, you know, it costs money, but you know, you're probably gonna wanna buy a book of some sort anyway. And I feel like those are the most engaging. You can watch those three um, courses. There's like lots of video coverage. There's lots of different there's a lot of stuff in those. So then the question becomes, you don't have to learn it all, right? Like that course is built for players maybe at the GM level and below, but like there's like a bazillion lines. So the question is, which are the most important? Yeah, and you know, that, is, that is the tricky part. Yeah, so like the, the problem is somebody like me is easy, better at figuring out what's the most important because we're like, I'm, I have experience using chess base. So what you can do is you can look at chess base. You can look at the cloud database. You can see what lines are most common over history and you can see what lines are the most common recently. Uh, you can also just learn like the very basics, like watch the videos, try to like learn like the first few moves, do the quick starter, whatever. Quick starter, and then, great, yeah. Yeah, and then as you play games, you fix stuff, right? So like you just learn as you play more games. Uh, so whatever somebody plays against you, now you kind of like, okay, I need to learn this thing. And it can be like a one, two, three year process. But the, the point is if you stick with it, if you stick with an open, like D4 is a good opening, there's no reason you'd ever have to stop playing D4 or the Sveshnikov or the Nims or Rogozin. So it's just like, don't be, don't be, I guess, impatient. Um, understand that it's a long journey and the more you play, the more experience you will get. And that's a good feeling. It's such a good feeling when somebody plays something against you, you learn it, you study it. And then the next time somebody plays against you, you know what to do. And how would you say in terms of, so a club level player, I don't know Mark's rating, but let, let's say for the sake of argument, let's say he's 1400, something like that. How is he supposed to approach uh, opening learning as um, memorization as opposed to understanding? Like, w what's the proper way for him to study? God, that's hard to add. So 1,400? Um, 
I think what it, like what I would say is that how many different openings can Black play against D four? There's like Slav, Queen's Gambit. I, I feel like you just kind of like you don't want to go too deep. You kind of want to just know like the very starting like setups. You know, um, it's a, it's a hard question. It helps to have a coach to kind of lead you, yeah. and depending on who you are and what like what your opponents are often playing against you. And secret, secretly, listeners, Greg's the wrong person to ask because you don't you don't work with any fourteen hundreds. I don't, I don't, um, and I and I'm also not a big D four expert. So, like, if you ask me E four, I could answer a little better. I could say like a very specific things um, with D four. It's like I never played it. I'm gonna learn it eventually, but let's say like you're playing against the. Um, I don't think Sam even gives this in this course, but let's say you're playing against the Nimzo Indian. I think Sam recommends Knight F three and move three. But like, can I give chess moves? Is that like? Yeah, I mean, you can give third third chess moves. All right, D four, Knight F six, C four, E six, Knight C three, Bishop B four. You know, you let's say you're gonna play like Queen C two here, um, which is what Capablanca's line, and then like you have to have like some just fourteen hundred level, just have a general idea what to do when they castle, what to do when they go B six, what to go when they go D five. Like maybe know a few moves, um, and then like as time goes on and you play more games, you know, expand on that. Um, but as you get higher rated, you just have to know a little bit more. Uh, but fourteen hundred, I think you don't need to know very much at all. You just need to know like it's just the general guidelines of where your pieces belong in in that opening. Yeah, and I do want to highlight one one bit of advice you gave, where you said you use chess base to figure out what's most popular. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so listeners, a lot of listeners might not have chess base, but even the free online opening trees, like on chess.com or, or chess24, yeah. um, if you just look at what comes up first, that'll at least give you some sort of guidepost, especially for club players. So, because often I love chessable, of course, and I, funny enough, I'm learning the I, I've uh, Christoph Selecki's. Um, Sveshnikov and uh, Nimzo Rogozin course. So um, I'm well qualified to speak about um, Mark's courses, but sometimes you just don't know what to study out of the whole thing. The quick starter guides are great. The short and sweet uh, courses for free are obviously amazing, um, but stuff like that is not always available. So you can use other sources to try to know where to start. But then like Greg says, just try to try to learn something from every game. I can even give a really good example from Gustafsson's course. Um, there's just some chapters that are extremely important and some that are like, you really don't, you could honestly just skip it. Uh, you could learn like one or two variations. Like like the G3 Marshall Gambit is so irrelevant. Like almost nobody plays it and there's like 30 lines in it. So for me to waste my time studying that, it would just be like, just right. like super inefficient. So I just knew, I've, I've learned like two or three of the lines in that chapter, but like right. the one- well, Like you need to know that, like uh, people don't know that if- Yeah, nobody can, that's really hard to figure out, right? So like I, I, I gave the course, um, I'm helping a friend learn that course and I gave them a, like a list of the chapters and I put a number one, two or three next to it, basically to, to indicate how important it is. And I'm like, if it has a one, you know, you probably don't have to, you should know like the very, very basics, but it's not critical at all. Can you do that for every course for all the listeners? Um, you know, if somebody, if somebody- At Greg Shahadi on Twitter, you can- If somebody paid me, I would do that for every course. Cause I mean, it's like a thing they don't do. And I, I think it really is important. It's like, what lines are most critical? Um, I, like I pause a lot of variations and check. Yeah. I'm like, this one's just not irrelevant. It's just, I, I can figure out when a line's basically irrelevant and I just pause it. Um, but most people just don't know that. It's hard to figure out how to know that. 
so like the stronger you are, the better you are actually at just kind of like navigating these opening systems. So I feel like having somebody whose job it is, and it shouldn't be this person writing the course probably, it should be somebody outside who's like smart at that, who kind of like tells the viewers like this, you need to know this line, like you cannot skimp on this line. And who else is like this one, you know, if you have like an extra, you know, I don't know if you never work and you have like a hundred hours to spare right. every day. And you know, like maybe you're, if you're worried about the one in 10,000 chance it'll happen in your game, you know, go for it. Um, Good stuff. Okay. And Greg, tell us more about your own game. So you're really, I mean, you've had a tragic fall in your blitz reading. It's got to hurt. You're all time high, 27.52 on chess.com. You're, you're the whole way down at 26.78. So first of all, what, what's gone wrong? Well, you know, so I was crushing the title Tuesday. I was five out of six this week. I beat Alex Zenko from the candidates. I beat this 28.50 from India. I was riding high. I was like 27 something. I'm like, I'm, I'm a god. I'm a chess god, basically. Then I lost four games in a row. I was crushing some other GM after that. I lost that game. I lost Conrad Holt. Um, nothing went wrong. I mean, I'm just about, I'm about 26.80 strength probably on there. So you don't feel like my spreadsheet. So you just feel like I know you you you've got a famous spreadsheet that tries to smooth out the the natural ebbs and flows of one's rating. So you just feel like it's natural fluctuation. And let me ask you, Greg. So you're known as a blitz specialist, obviously known as an opening theoretician these days. Um, are, do you work on your middle game and end games at all? No, no. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, here's the thing. It's 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 like. At this point in my career, my openings weren't good. So studying them, it was just like a clear thing I could do to just make myself better. Like, and, and the progress was clear and obvious. Like I was like playing 2580 on there for a while. I was like maybe average 2600, slightly under. And as soon as I kind of really did this opening work and was getting good positions, it kind of shot up really quickly. So now I'm like over the last 600 games, my average rating is 2680 something. So. You know, yeah. not quite 2,700, but it's very, very close. And yeah, I still have a lot of work to do on my openings, but lately I feel like it's it's easier to learn an opening than to like stop blundering, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I mean, honestly, I, I it's just hard. It's hard to get better at chess. <laughs> like, yeah. The opening stuff, but openings is great because it's easy to get better at openings. It's like the easiest thing you can do. I just have to memorize stuff. Um, yeah, and chessable makes it easier than ever. But I don't know what moves to make against Hikaru. I don't know what to do. He knows what to do. I don't know. I have to get. I just have to hope like I play good that game. So what happened? in you mentioned the most recent game where you had a good opening. I'm guessing it it still had a sad ending. He beat me. Yeah, but it was like equal right before the end, and I blundered. And I was, you know, he's way up in time because he's fast. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's nice to play. Like it's a really good feeling to be able to play the best players in the world, and like I can feasibly beat them. You know, like I know going into the game, I might win. Um, you know, and like with a decent frequency. So it's just a nice feeling. I know they're better than me, but it feels good to be at that level. You know, you can beat anybody in a, in a given game. Yeah, for sure. Now, Greg, you were Twitch streaming for a little bit and I'm not, I'm not, as listeners know, I'm not a huge Twitch aficionado, but tried to watch you when I could. And I noticed you liked the incognito mode at the time. So you didn't know who you were playing. Um, are you still doing that? I'm not, I'm not. And what changed your mind? It's a good question. I don't know. You know, I think what's distracting is sometimes you start to recognize people's uh, avatars, right? And like, that's annoying. 
And, and there's other things like it's good for my confidence when they're lower rated for sure. Like I just play good. I'm just like, you're, you're weak. I'm going to beat you. Even though it's like totally untrue. <laughs> it's like, you know, like I may be overconfident sometimes but it, in blitz. It's very good to have confidence. So the majority of the time you're higher rated than your opponent uh, somehow. I'm not sure how it works out that way, but it's, it is the truth. And, and like in title Tuesday, like you always know when you're going to get paired up. I don't know. It's like weird to know you're playing either a 2,900 or a 2,400. And it's just like, it's just such a psychological, like, I, I just want to know. Yeah. I always, I, I couldn't believe you could do that to begin with now. So what's going on with your, your huge Twitch career? Is it, is it dormant coming back? It's pretty dormant. I, I, I just can't like, I, I just want to play. I, you know, it was really, it was fun for a bit. You know, the, the, the viewers are super nice. The Twitch community is awesome. But it's just like a little exhausting because you don't feel like you can. Just, I, I just want to play a game or two and then go about my business. And when you when you start a stream, you feel like you're kind of wanting to play like for an hour or two to make people happy. And I don't know, it's just not my style. I, I don't like to play more than five list games in a day these days. Um, All right. Well, I'm not canceling my subscription, Greg. Let me know when. The, let me know when there's none left, and then I'll think about it. But I want to be the last man standing. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm sure I'll stream again sometimes. It's not like I'm never going to stream again, but it has been like six months since I started. Thanks for the subscription. You, you'll rise again. Um, <laughs> all right, so Greg, we got some other topics to talk about, but first we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. Listeners, as you hear in this interview, Chessable.com's Move Trainer technology has helped IM Greg Shahadi turbocharge his opening knowledge and plug up what was once a weakness in his game. Even if you're not quite as strong as Greg Shahadi, there's plenty of resources you can check out. I love their free short and sweet courses on various openings. And of course, they have plenty of tactics and middle game courses end games as well so whatever phase you want to work on you can check out what chessable has to offer and remember that they now have an ios app to make it even easier to use okay back to our interview with greg and we are back um and speaking of projects that you have abandoned we have another patreon question for you greg this one is from longtime friend of the pod uh peter newhall who asks um and thanks as always for the support peter um, Peter of Adapta Interactive Web Web Design, I should say. Um, Peter says, "Dude, when are you going to start blogging again? You used to be the world champion of blogging, but now you're the world champion of two million things I plan to blog about in the future. Your blogs, and especially the ones related to chess, are really good and always thought provoking." Well, you know me and Peter go way back, right? Uh, I gathered as much. I don't know the story. We play, We he, he was in the poker community on two plus two, so we would like post on the poker forums a lot. I did not know that. Here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the thing about blogging. How do I put this? I'm really happy these days. Like my life is just wonderful. Um, I've made some changes in my life and like, I'm just super happy and fulfilled all the time. One side effect of that is I am much less interested in kind of like aggressively sharing my opinions. <laughs> Um, like, I just don't care. <laughs> like, you know, like, I, I don't know why, um, but I just kind of am just so much less interested in doing that. Uh, like, just social media use in general. I, I do like to still, like, troll people on Twitter. Like, that's really fun. Anyone in particular? Well, you know, there's this guy, I don't know if you heard about him. He plays this opening called The Scandi. It's a terrible opening. 
Oh, John okay. Bartholomew, who, by the way, was too scared to play in the I Am Not a GM tournament this year. Like, think about this. Last year, he won the tournament, right? But he, he beat a player in the final by, like, what, four points or something. I don't even remember. She lost by more than that in the first round this year. Like, this year, the tournament's much, much stronger. I mean, John, I don't I don't think he would make it out of the first round this year. Like, he'd have a chance. Probably <laughs> not. Hard. <laughs> and he realized that. He was like, okay, my reputation will never recover if I play this year. So he saw the field. He was like, okay, I'm done. Um, so for listeners not familiar, the I Am Not a GM tournament is what chess.com is now um, staging the second annual tournament. The idea is it's an invitational blitz and bullet tournament, elimination style tournament where GMs are uh, not allowed. And I love it. I mean, I love to see some fresh faces in there. And of course, a lot of these people are big online stars at this point. Like I am, Levy Roseman is in there. I believe Tanya Sachdev is in there. Shout out to Kostya Kovutsky, who I believe is playing Tanya any day now, but it will have already happened by the time this comes out. So big fan of the format. Hope to see more of it. Um, and Greg, your first match was against uh, the famed, the superstar, Alexandra Botez. Um, tell us a bit about that. It was a fun match because, you know, she's super fun. Like, like some people, they take things too seriously. But me and her, we were like doing outfit changes, wearing different crazy clothes, being silly. Um, now, did you feel like you couldn't obnoxiously talk trash to her? Um, why would I talk trash to her? Or because, because you're obnoxious normally? Well, first of all, she's a wonderful person. Who's doing, <laughs> she's doing okay. wonderful things in the chess community. She plays good chess. You know, her, her sister plays good chess. They're all doing... They're just superstars who are bringing, you know, like the limelight to chess. They really there are, There is yeah. nothing negative that anyone could ever say about that. It's not like Lawrence Trent, you know? <laughs> it's like these people, are, they're angels. So even if I wanted to talk trash, there's just really nothing to say. I, I don't, I don't, I have nothing but wonderful things to say about uh, Alexandra. Okay, and they had this unique format for this match because in the first one, it ba basically everyone was within some reasonable rating band. But this one, you know, when you have superstars like Alexandra Botez willing to play, you, you want her to be able to play. So she's in the match. You're several hundred points higher rated than her. So the format you guys settled on was you started with um, a 15-point lead. Um, and I know that some similar provisions were made for some other players. So I know that you've been involved in some of the designing of these tournaments, but you're also in this one. So how did they decide on the odds format, do you know? Well, okay, here's the thing. They originally were going to pair me with John Bartholomew, and I was going to give him 15-point odds. <laughs> um, and he was like, you know, 15's not enough. I'm just going to drop out. And so they replaced him with Alexandra. And I was like, well, 15 for her, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to keep the handicap. Um, they, you know, they talked to me about it, made sure I'd be okay with it. It was originally going to be 12. Um, and I don't know, somehow in the conversation, like within like five seconds of offering 12, they're like, well, you know, maybe what, what about 15 actually? I'm like, all right. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Um, but then the match happened. It was like a lot tougher than I realized. Cause you know, I am much higher rated, but like she played some good games and in the one minute section. I mean, she had me running for my life. Yeah. She, she seems to play a lot of one minute. It was a great match. There were so many people watching and having fun and you know, there were some haters. There's definitely some haters, but I, uh, Greg haters or just haters or just of the format. Like they were like, why, you know, like stupid stuff. Like why is this match happening? It's not fair. The handicap, whatever. But So did, 
were there discussions of any sort of time odds format? I know that like there's no perfect solution, but I'm just curious. Um, no, there wasn't. There wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I know that stuff can be tricky, and I certainly enjoyed the show. Um, so we've got a tangentially related question from the Patreon mailbag. Again, this is for people who support the podcast and can find out when luminaries like Greg Shahadi are coming on the show. Um, so this one is from Chris Lott. Um, thanks for the question, Chris. And Chris says, first of all, congrats on your I am not a GM win. I love the hat and you don't look a day over 50. Second, is there any chance that the rating cap will come back? So this is pivoting to the Pro Chess League. The rating cap will come back to the Pro Chess League or some mechanism to provide more of the underdog drama that made some of the matches so enjoyable in the earlier seasons. Don't get me wrong, the Super GM teams are cool, but it was a lot of fun to see the earlier diverse teams too. Now, Greg, before you answer that, you might want to just give um, a little, like, what's the timeline for Pro Chess League information to Sure, to sure. I mean, we're still talking about when the, the league's going to happen this year. COVID kind of shook things up a little bit with, like, the scheduling. So it probably won't be happening for at least a few more months, like probably the summertime. But no announcement has been made. We're working on it right now. In terms of in terms of rating cap, like I'm gonna be honest. I think it's time where I can I can be honest. It's a year later, two years later. I was not in favor of removing the rating cap when it was first happened. I got outvoted. I love the rating cap. Um however, I, I think at this point, um, it's not gonna come back for this event. I don't know for sure. But you know, Chess.com is doing a lot of like great events. So just if it's not in the Pro Chess League, it could come back for something else, right? Like it could be like some Pro Chess League shoot off or something like that. But I, I don't think, I don't think it's going to come back. I really think it's exciting and cool format too. But I also think without the rating cap, uh, there are ways to make it really exciting and cool. Uh, you care to share any of those, or are they still? Um, oh, I have still... a lot of ideas ruminating in my head. You know, like I don't like the blowout matches, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out ways to, you know, you know, you know what they did really good with the um, Olympiad. If you follow the Olympiad online, I'm not as much as I follow most tournaments. I mean, yeah, I mean, they, a little bit. They did a really good thing with that, where like there was like early sections, and you had to kind of like qualify to the next stage and stuff. Um, there's a lot of ideas I'm thinking about. Um, but, you okay. know, I, I'm sure whatever it is, it's going to be super fun and super exciting. And I'm looking forward to it because chess.com, they're not – when I was here last year, everything was different. Like the chess world has advanced 10 years in one, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, I would, think they, I would think they have some money to spend. <laughs> it's not just money to spend. They have more creative minds involved. They have more ability to do things. They're willing to – you know, the, the, the people watching the um, chess viewership community is different. It's like a different crowd. So I think just the rule, the game has changed. The rules have changed. Um, it's going to be really interesting what we come up with this year in terms of the Pro Chess League. I bet there will be some, at least, at least like some small change. Can't guarantee okay. it though. Can't guarantee it. And Greg, I know you and your sister, Jen Shahadi, shout out to Jen, have been, um, you've been pushing to popularize chess for a long time. You guys have been creative thinkers, always trying new things. Um, basically for as long as I've known you guys. So 
how does it feel to see this explosion? Do you do you feel any downsides or is it just like all gravy? A hundred percent great. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's some of these classical obsessed classical players that are like a little bitter or, or like the strong players who don't like to see lower rated players getting in the limelight, but like it doesn't matter what they think, right? Because the thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of chess players are gonna join and that's what's really important. Um I mean, just the whole, the chess community is being flooded with people um, that, that look at chess differently than like the old guard does, but there's room for everyone. Um, I think everyone is going to thrive from this. There's still going to be slow classical tournaments. They're not going anywhere. Um, there's just going to be more blitz tournaments, going to be more online stuff. And it's going to be a little, it's going to be a lot for everybody. A lot yeah, more. I agree that, I agree that there's more, more, excuse me, room for both. And do you think that like, how enduring do you think this boom is going to be? Is it just, I mean, we both live through the poker boom. People love to compare it to that. Um, is this just going to be like a flash in the pan or will chess be able to sustain its increased popularity? I mean, there will be like peaks and valleys, but I think, I think the, you know, chess.com, they're like, they're legit, you know, <laughs> they're, and they have the resources. Like as long as they keep doing these pod champs, like people love chess. These people, these famous celebrity streamers love to play chess. They're not, as long as they keep doing that, uh, you know, chess is going to keep growing. And like everyone loves to play. Like, there's all these tournaments online that are super exciting, watched by tens of thousands of people. Um, I just don't, I don't see it slowing down. I, and I, I really think the key is chess.com. Like, they are doing things that have never been done before. They're going to keep doing them. They don't care about what, how people used to do things, right? It's just they don't care. They're willing to, to shake things up. They've been shaking them up the last year. It's been amazing. Um, you know, they're willing to do those things, and, and they're going to keep – it's not going to change. So well, I'm, I'm, too old for, uh, I'm too old for Twitch streaming and, and video games, but I'm going to keep pushing for them to do an athlete's one. I want to see Clay Thompson – and, um, you know, uh, Jalen Brown and uh, all the, uh, I know there's a lot of uh, soccer slash football playing chess aficionados. Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis. I want to see all them get in there and play uh, play their own chess event. Maybe, maybe someday. I think more likely it'd just be like one or two of them included in one of these things to start. But I, I, I'm sure something. Oh, uh, Levy Roseman's boy, Gordon Hayward. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. That's a lot of basketball players. I can't think of uh, any baseball or NFL. Oh, um, the guy who was running back for the Steelers. Um, there's a million people listening saying his name now. Um, I mean, you got you got like you got these super you know well known people, and they just they love chess. They just want to be in a put in a position where they can play, and it's fun and exciting for them, and actually like makes them it, it increases their exposure, and like their fans love it. So I, I just don't see. What could stop chess? I mean, chess is growing fast for a reason because it's a great game, and there's great people in charge of it. Chess.com, Chess24, Chessable, all this, all these, you know, all these people are working to grow the game. Le'Veon Bell. I had to look up the name. Oh, Le'Veon um, Bell. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the other half of Chris Lott's question, which is related um, to the Chess.com stuff. And by the way, you're not so. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, 
So Chris's question is, he says, one other question, are there improvements to the website and or connection with chess.com in the works? I think it would help bring in more fans if it were easier to follow the matches. For example, one-click access to a multi-board view. And if the website were updated more frequently for fewer out-of-date pages, broken links. He says, these are minor quibbles for dedicated viewers, but frustrating for others nonetheless. Um, you know, I'm sure they would like to do that, like the one one touch look at all games it's just, yeah i would like that i would like it too but realistically like they do have um to prioritize certain things so i don't know if it'll get done i'm sure it's something they would like to do i don't know how difficult it is to do um you know chess.com has a lot going on so we'll see <laughs> i, I yeah. definitely can't promise anything but I, I totally agree that it would be a nice feature yeah and the website, I'm not sure if he means the Pro Chess League website or the chess.com website. I think he means Pro Chess League. Okay. Like when you're following the Pro Chess League. Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know what we're going to do with the website this year. Like, I guess we'll see. I mean, okay. there may, it may, they may even want to just push it to chess.com instead of having a separate website. I, I really don't know. We haven't talked about many things. So I'm like kind of the big meetings are coming soon, like the big discussions. But you're okay. catching me before then. So. All right, get ready, yeah. Greg. All right, so Greg, we're gonna take another break and hear from another sponsor and we will be back momentarily. In case you are not familiar with our friends and sponsors, aimchess.com, we wanted to take a quick break to tell you about what they do. What they do is they collect your games from LeeChess or chess.com, your site of choice, and look for data-driven trends of things you can work on, such as converting an advantage, a specific opening, possibly tactics, whatever it may be, they create personalized lessons based on your games and even review positions from your games where you may have made a mistake. So I love the product and there's a free version that you can check out. And if you like it, you can subscribe to Aim Chess. If you use the promo code CHESS30, you can save 30% on the cost and they will know you came from Perpetual Chess. The details will be in the show notes, but for now, let's get back to the interview. And we are back, and we have the second half of Peter Newhall's question, which is... Two-parter. Have you read any good books lately? What does he mean by books? Well, <laughs> chess books or just books? You know, he didn't specify, and I felt like it wasn't... It's not my place. I'm going to tell you something. People are going to be mad. People are going to be real mad. But books overrated for me these days. <laughs> I just do not read books. I never read a book. It's been few years maybe since i've read one <laughs> i'm not shocked I, yeah, mean, I mean like why do i need okay there's nothing wrong with books but like i basically in my head so i'm like the least bored person ever i'm like super excited to do something like 24 hours in a day and i have like this kind of priority list um it's like chess talk to people play games whatever all kinds of things and books is just so low whenever i start to read a book i just kind of like i want to do this thing instead so yeah, I don't read books, I think. So you get your opening knowledge from Chessable. Um, how else do you uh, consume? I do books. Like, there are some chess books I got my opening knowledge from, especially, like, it's from, um, what's that guy's name? John Shaw? His, like, works from Quality on, Chess? Yeah, his works on E4. I use them as a really big reference point for E4 for white. But I, 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 it's a combination of his stuff and me figuring out my own stuff. It's like we're kind of co we're collaborating on okay. my own opening repertoire. 
Gotcha. And and for designing your own repertoire, you're you're mainly using databases and engines, I gather. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's another book I'm using, The Safest Grunfeld by Delchev. That's what I've been using to do the Grunfeld. But Fiddler's about to come up with a Grunfeld course, so that would be really interesting. Last time we talked, you said the Grunfeld had gotten too hard, I believe. Yeah, yeah that's probably that was probably a year ago. So you're back on it? Oh, 100%. Because wow. a year ago, I wasn't willing to memorize everything like a robot. Now I'm, I don't care how much there is. I'm going to memorize everything. It's not, there's no amount that's too much when I have Chessable. I'm going to memorize everything. And it's not a problem because of the space repetition software. So the more complicated it is, it just doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Like I can just, I know I can do the work. So how much time um, a day or a week are you spending uh, on Chessable memorizing openings? Well, I've already got them memorized, so it's more just like the review. Okay, well, were you when you when you oh. decided to take this seriously? Hmm. Yeah, at the beginning, a decent amount. Like why? Come on. Well, here's the thing. Like I did it. Re- it was a really slow process. It took a few months. So like I started learning E45 back in like December of 2019. And I was just doing it as a way. I'm like, I wasn't even playing chess seriously, but I'm like, you know, it'd be nice to know some decent opening. And I would just do it really slowly. And after a few months, suddenly, oh, I'm starting. Okay, but how, how many hours a day? Like, oh. I'm going to tell you when I really took, like sometime in between like March and May, like after I played John Bartholomew or something, like around that stage, I decided I'm going to learn like everything. I'm just going to learn E4. I'm going to know what the hell to do. I'm going to learn the Grunfeld because those were my weaknesses. I was really good at E4, E5. Against D4, I would just make stuff up in the Nimzo. It was just stupid. So I did spend a lot of time then. I would spend maybe a few hours a day for like a month or something. Um, oh, that's not, that's not like insane. Yeah, and then once I'm done, because the, the idea is once I'm done, I'm done. I don't have to go back. To, I don't. It's just a one-time job, and it lasts for the rest of my life. <laughs> so I'm like, right. okay. Yeah, no, it's just like, you know, you don't have a full-time job. You don't have kids. So just wanted to make sure that it was like something doable for... Oh, it's totally doable. I, I, I did it slightly like faster than necessary too. You know, like I I was just so annoyed like getting bad positions. So I just wanted to rush the process a little bit. But if you're not in a rush, you can just casually kind of study openings and realize that maybe it'll take six to eight months to get a full repertoire. But... At the end, you'll have it, you know. But you got to start. You got to something is better than nothing. Like slow pro, slow progress is still progress. Have you, okay. heard, have you heard that saying? Uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna make a pin out of it. Very yeah. nice. Um, so like, you just kind of like don't think about, hey, I, I don't. It's kind of like fitness, right? If you go to the gym, you're not gonna be all buff in three weeks, but in eight months, you will be. So in in openings, that's how I how I approach it. Like I'm not I'm not like trying to win the world championship. So I'm just like, in eight months, I'll be good. In six months, I'll be good. If I just do, if I just go through the process, you know? Um, and it, you know, it can be a little frustrating when you, you're studying an opening, you still don't know what to do against half of the lines, but eventually, eventually you'll get there, you know, no rush. Like- okay. And getting back to Peter's question. So since you're not a book guy, which like, you know, you're certainly not alone. I mean, uh, Jesse Cry, as I often quote him, I mean, he's he's talked at length about how he feels like chess books are going out of fashion. Um, I, I live in kind of an echo chamber here, a perpetual chess, where where uh, books are books are going stronger than ever. But um, but how do you consume information? Are are you reading news podcasts? We got Twitter. We got I mean, Twitter is a lot of stuff on there. Reddit, Reddit is a lot of information. <laughs> uh, you know, talking to friends. Um, I'm probably like forgetting about some things, but. That's like my, you know, main sources. 
Okay. And getting back to chess, so you've been working only on openings. Um, I don't like. I don't recall you making other aspects of your game a priority. Like you know, basically as a friend, since you quit classical chess, is there a scenario where you would decide to like grind a hundred end games you must know or oh, Dvoretsky's no, end game manual? Absolutely not. I feel like those. Okay, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be blunt. A hundred games, end games you must know. I think is extremely impractical. Like it's not something that should be a main source of studying for people. Like, I don't know. If, I don't know if Chessable is going to keep sending you those free courses after that. Hey, statement. you know, I'm honest. You know, like if I if I only say amazing good things about him, you know, like you're going to be like he's just some Chessable show. No, Chessable is amazing, right? But like, come on, what does it matter knowing what to do in some like obscure night in game you're never going to get? I mean, like, you know, every now and then it might be helpful, but it's it's like technical concepts are more valuable than memorizing kind of like theoretical end games and kind yeah. of sorry go on i was just i i often give the same advice i like end games in action you know like capablanca's endings yeah. or end game strategy by shurashevsky where you see an idea implemented you're more like that's more likely to to give you something you can you can implement um now of course you know the lucina position the philidor sure. position Must like know. queens against pawns on the seventh slash second i mean wait what's that like oh, a queen. they're basic. You need to know them. No, but people need to know them. And so, you Absolutely. Know, so. You have to know what you need to know and what you don't. Like, like there's some, certain things, like you need to know, like the general basics of the frontal defense, like the general basics of the Vancouver defense. You could get, you could live without them. You're probably never going to see it, but yeah, it's nice to know, like, general. And for listeners, anyone listening who doesn't know what those are, Silman's Endgame course, also a good, good, yeah. or you could just, you could just Google those. Um, but anyway, I agree with your broader point. Uh, you, and yeah, yeah. So basically, like more important stuff is like be patient. <laughs> you know, do not rush. Um, like when to trade, when not to trade. Bishops are opposite color in games. Just knowing like some just general ideas like two pass pawns on separate side of the board fight well against the bishops are opposite. And like just just knowing some general strategy is so much more valuable than memorizing some theoretical endgame technique. I think so. Okay. So if you did decide you were going to work on something besides openings, like what would it be? What would you do? Well, first I do want to say you should know how to win Bishop and Knight versus King. Um, wow. I wouldn't expect you to say that. It's so easy. It's just so easy. You, you and, and you do get it sometimes. Like it took me 48, 46 moves to beat a GM in it once. Cause I didn't know what to do. I almost didn't do it. And like now it's just like, it's a total piece of cake. You literally need to know one trick, like two tricks. Like, Get the king to this corner using this kind of like method and then just this other second trick that's like a little complicated and then you never have to deal with it again um but what would i do if i was trying to get better at actual chess you know probably the best thing for me to do would be to play in play in serious tournaments hire hire a serious coach like somebody like uh jacob agard you know just pay him that money and be like yo tell me what to do <laughs> and just do it um, yeah. and you know, I'm not going to do that obviously, <laughs> but right. if I wanted to get better, that's what I would do. I would just go to him. I'd be like, I'm ready to work eight hours a day. Just tell me what to do. But unlikely to happen. Yeah. But I think it would be fruitful. It'd probably, okay. I probably, I don't know what he would tell me to do, but whatever he would tell me to do would probably make me 50 to hundred points stronger or something. Maybe 50. Yeah. I don't want to say a hundred. That's, that's a lot of points. Gotcha. I, I, maybe. Maybe. At Greg's level, it's a lot of points. Um, so another question, Greg, obviously, long, long time friends. We, we grew up playing chess together, and you were always 
quite gifted tactically. Um, lately on the podcast, like uh, blindfold training has been coming up as a topic a lot, visualization training, end game study type stuff. Um, and I know that a lot of improvers are working hard on it. I know that visualizing the chessboard is a, a unique challenge for adults who are new to the game sure. um, or newer. So one question I had for you, just because I couldn't remember, I'm, I mean, certainly your family had chess books all over the place. Shout out to Mr. Shahadi, uh, senior slash FIDE master Mike Shahadi and your sister, Jen. There were chess books everywhere. And, you know, he would give you guys lessons as well as bring in some coaches. But to what extent was A, endgame studies and B, blindfold training a part of your uh, what you were able to do developing your tactical sense? Hmm, close to zero. Maybe like three, that's what I remembered. Three yeah, maybe five percent. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know Jen liked. She mentioned last time I interviewed her, Endgame Magic. Um, yeah, but that's, that's when you're stronger. Like, you don't need Endgame studies when you're like sixteen hundred or fourteen hundred. It's more like you're at two thousand to twenty two hundred. They're like cool things. They're cool even when you're at lower, but like they're not like the main source of training. Like, you just need to know the patterns that actually happen in games. So do you think they should be focused on memorizing the patterns? Like there's the recurring question here of um, like how often, like we've talked about chessable space repetition when it comes to openings. Now I know you're not a neuroscientist, I'm but, not, how much, but how much to repeat tactical patterns as opposed to go to new, new tactical puzzles? I, I do think like stuff like the woodpecker method, like people obsessed with like getting every puzzle right quickly. I think it's kind of a waste of time. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. This is just my guess. I feel like probably I've said this in the podcast before because it's such a common <laughs> question that people have. But like, I just don't, it just doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't seem like the best method. I, I think tactical training, though, is, is obviously really, really, really important. Um, okay. I mean, one caveat I want to give right off the bat, just knowing you, is that you have a very good memory for these things. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm, like, I'm already, like, really good at tactical fight. Like, I'm, you know, I could be better. Like, Nakamura's better, MVL's better. But, like, I'm really good, right? Right. Like, I'm you're in the top. Just, <laughs> you're also just good at remembering chess. Like, I've probably yeah. told a story in our prior interviews where, like, you would, you would remember our games as kids. You would remember my games better than I did, you know, just, just naturally, you know? Yeah, I'm thinking so, about our games right now. Seeing the trying to <laughs> no, I don't mean my game specifically against you. I mean, like, you would be sitting next to me at a tournament, and you would remember the details of a game that I played better than I did. Oh. If it was, like, two years later. Now you I'm going to think about what games of yours I can remember. But I'm, I'm, I'm having, uh -oh. I'm You've got to keep those private. <laughs> I'm having trouble. I'm having trouble. <laughs> no, those were the days I could play chess okay. So, um, all right. So, yeah, I mean, I was just curious on your perspective. I, I do, again as I always do to listeners, my, my main, uh, my main advice is no one really knows. Everyone's guessing. Yeah, and what I'm saying is like, I'm so good at them at this point. It's just like, it's not like a weakness I have. It's never something I had to fix. It's always been something I've just been naturally good at, you know? And then even though there are people better than me, it's like, it's one of the stronger points of my game. So it's just like, I had to put almost no effort of my own at an older age, with this type of stuff. So it means that I'm a little like, not good at knowing what you're supposed to do if you don't have the, that tool set already. And okay, I mean, you're still busy with the US chess school, US kids getting stronger than ever. What do you tell when their dads inevitably come up to you and say, what should I have my kids do? What do you, what do you say? 
What about their moms? Oh, thank you, or their moms. No, you're right, of course. <laughs> um, you know, it depends on the kid. It really depends. Uh, sometimes- So you give, you give tailored advice based on, on their- Yeah, I mean, if I don't know them, then I just give them like, hey, I don't really know your, <laughs> your kid. I don't really know. I mean, you want a book recommendation or something? But, you know, sometimes they'll be at this camp and they'll ask me those questions and then I can give like a little more tailored advice or, you know, I usually I say some nice things about them because they're all really talented to begin with. And, you know, just, it just depends on the kid. I mean, you can give me a kid now and I'll give them some advice on the air. Somebody that I will know about. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm Jeffrey Zhang. <laughs> Jeffrey Zhang. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, learn how to play against the, the bong cloud, I guess. <laughs> so the listeners who aren't, aren't sure what Greg's referencing, you can look it up. Uh, look up Jeffrey Zhang in bong cloud. But um, um, he went to U.S. chess uh, school camps, right? Oh, yeah. He'd been to a few of them. That kid, he's, fun. he's funny. He was funny. He would just sit there like watching Bullet. I don't even know how to explain it. He was just sitting there after class. He's in the hotel lobby looking through games on the internet chess club of people playing like blitz, like one after another, like in hyperspeed, just looking like just, I, I don't know. How to, I've never seen anyone do it before. <laughs> he was looking at the games after they were over, just like really fascinated by these just random blitz games. They were like completely just random online blitz games. <laughs> uh, and this is after like eight hours of chess or 10 hours of chess that day. I mean, that's why he is where he is. Oh, yeah. These kids are the best ones are just they can't get enough chess. They just can't get enough in those formative years. And at some point they get other interests, but they've gotten so much when they were super young that it's okay now. Yeah. And for listeners who don't know Jeffrey Zhang, um, one of the top under 21-year-old players in the world, uh, over 2,700 FIDE. Um, so one of the U.S.'s brightest talents. Is there anyone else you would you would put in that category, Greg? Greg, well, you know, you guys, Sam, let me think about all the people. Okay. So my, my mind is blanking, but you tell me who that Sam Sevian, obviously really good. I, I mean, you know, why am I forgetting people? Ray Robson. Ray um, Robson. You know, he's a little older. I don't know what age range you're looking for. Like Christopher Yu, of course, is going to be a superstar. Like he almost yeah. qualified for the U.S. championship in his round robin. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, he's something special. Um Cool. I, probably, right. I probably forgot about some like really talented players. They're like yeah. superstars. But. Well, it's better that you name fewer because if you name more and then you leave someone out, they'll be mad. So okay, that's um, good. we'll just leave it there and we're going to take one more break and we will be back momentarily. Perpetual Chess is happy to be brought to you in part by our longtime friends, but new sponsor, ChessMood.com. If you didn't catch episode 192 with their founder, GM Avtek Gregorian, you should listen to it to see what he's about. ChessMood is a subscription-based website with courses covering opening repertoires for white and black, covering middle game mastery, end game mastery, and more. They also have lots of free content, such as a ChessMood blog with written features by grandmasters about stuff like chasing the 3000 blitz rating and how to improve your chess and your mental game. Uh, they have on YouTube now daily lessons with the grandmaster that you can check out and subscribe for free. So there's lots to check out and I'll put all the links you need in the show notes. But the bottom line is go to chessmood.com and have a look around if you have not already. Okay, let's get back to the interview. And we are back, and we have a question from Jonathan Bryant, who regular listeners may remember, did an awesome job helping me out recapping the book, Simple Chess, and has the Abysmal Depths of Chess blog, which you guys should check out. And uh, Jonathan says, 
and he's ready to bring the fire, although he says it's in good fun, just to warn you. So Jonathan says, hello, Greg. In a previous podcast, you mentioned that if chess were invented today, it wouldn't be with classical time controls. I'm sure this is true, but isn't this a reason to be grateful that chess was not invented today rather than a reason to change it to fit with modern life? After all, if you invented books today, novels probably wouldn't exist either, which is funny given our prior yeah, conversation. Yeah, like I don't books. who needs books, right? <laughs> That's, you got Twitter. What's the point of books anymore? <laughs> Although, like, every every classical lover who hates you is like, yeah, like, there he goes again, you know? Um, classical chess lover, that is. Yeah. Um, so how do you respond to this? Well, you know, we still, got we still got classical chess, but we should also have the form of chess that makes the most sense for today. And we have that now. So it's not, we don't even need to debate. The debate's over. Blitz chess, high-level blitz and high-level rabbit is here to stay. There's nothing to even talk about anymore. It's going to... I don't know. It's probably going to make more inroads against classical chess, but I don't think classical chess is going anywhere. It might speed up a little bit, but I think it's here to stay too. I could be wrong. In 10 years, it could be like, okay, this is ridiculous. Nobody's going to want to think for four hours in a game, but I, I think it'll stick around. It's interesting that out of the top 10, top 15 in the world, Magnus seems to be the only one who's kind of like somewhat, um, somewhat verbally against classical chess i mean obviously he shows up for the tournaments and but but at the margins he talks about wanting to speed it up so, and uh you don't really hear that from like fabiano or anishkiri or, or any of the other elite players but magnus as long as he's the champion he who owns the gold makes the rules so it'll be interesting how it plays out i mean i know why fabiano is not saying that <laughs> he's just clearly better at classical chess um Everyone else is kind of like close. Well, Hikaru, of course, has incentive to have less classical chess. Yeah, which chess. which he recently made a lot of news by saying that he thinks e, e chess or esports chess as an esport is the future of chess. He said, I mean, and, it probably, it, honestly, it probably is." Okay, but Grishuk recently in an interview um, then said, "Okay, he makes a good point, but the, he said the cheating problem seems unsolvable." It's not. It, it, the, the faster time control is you're going to solve that stuff. Um, I, I don't agree. I don't. That yeah, and FIDE recently had an announcement that they're going to um, start doing more what they call hybrid events, which basically means like within a given town, you go to a place with designated uh, arbiters who make sure that you're not cheating and then you don't, the travel costs are lowered, um, but it still has, and like any latency issues, I think um, that you would be better, internet latency, you would be better able to address like with sort of a neutral site where you can't blame the player and you don't have to worry that the player's kind of like making it up sort of thing. So I do think, and I, I'm an advocate of that. I do think something like that um, might be a good compromise. Although I want to be clear, I, I also, I don't want classical chess to go away. Yeah, I really think the chess world right now is fantastic. Like everything's going super well. Like I usually spend my whole life complaining. I've been spending my whole life complaining about chess and the chess community and how crappy it is, how every tournament's boring and slow. Not anymore. Now I'm actually really satisfied with how things look. I don't see, you know, maybe there's some little things that should be different. Um, but I'm very optimistic about where things are headed, where things are going. I, I think these classical tournaments are cool, you know, like, Whatever, as long as they're not the only thing. They used to be the only thing that anyone cared about, and that's not the case anymore. And that's that's the way it should be. You know, people care about these rapid events now. People care about Blitz Championships on chess.com, you know? So 
I think things are wonderful and everybody's happy. I, well, I'm, I think everyone should be happy because you get what you want. You don't have to pay attention to stuff you don't want, but everyone can kind of follow the type of chess that they want. Yeah, I agree. And even in terms of playing, um, like a uh, recent guest of the show, I am Andres Toth, was uh, passionately saying um, that OTB chess is real oh, chess. He was mad. Three <laughs> D <3D laughs> pieces, a person has to be there. It's the only oh, that was a. He's into play. it, yeah. And it seemed like, uh, uh, you know, I posted that clip online, and it seemed like about seventy-five twenty-five in terms of people who like strongly agreed with him. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. you like that, you know, if that's chess to you, go to the chess club and do it when the COVID's over. I mean, if you don't, you play online. It's easy. Yeah, no, it's, it's very practical. It's do true. what you want to do. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something. I totally blanked. No worries. But Greg, we're almost done here. Oh my so God, what? I mean, or at least my outline is almost done. Is there any, any burning topics you want to discuss before, um, we, we wrap up this annual tradition? Me? Uh, you, yeah, caught me off guard. you caught me off guard here. All know. right, well, you, you think about it while I'll, I'll ask you the, the one other thing. Um, so your friend Liz had brought to my attention that she went back and listened um, to our prior interviews. And in one of the early ones, I had tried to get you to sing as you told the story about, um, about your trying out for American Idol. Listeners who have not heard all of our previous interviews should definitely go get the whole Greg Shahadi backstory. Um, I, I think it's uh, pretty, pretty, pretty compelling stuff, if I, if I may say so. But Greg refused to sing and uh, claimed that he wasn't feeling well. And then, I I forgot, this way. And then I forgot to ask. Uh, you, you were sick, I remember, because we postponed that interview. But um, I forgot to ask last time. So Liz felt that you should become the third perpetual chess guest to bless us with your singing oh, skills. Oh, but you know, Before we let you, I, I want to publicly apologize because we had Christopher Yu sing in the very early days of the podcast, back when he was super young. And then Nathan Resica, Adult Improver, very popular episode, and obviously a, a professionally yeah, trained, well, very <laughs> opera singer. I, I cut him off during the closing credits, and I just wanted to publicly apologize because I saw a few comments about that. And I just want to say, you know, I'm I'm figuring things out as I go. I'd never had someone singing during the closing credits before. So someday I'll have Nathan back, and then I will not cut him off. And Greg, you're about you can may bless oh, us. Sir. I will not cut you off. Although, okay. go ahead. I, first of all, what do we mean go ahead? <laughs> Did I agree to sing yet? What's happening? <laughs> you, you can talk first. So what am I going to sing? Like usually I wouldn't do this, but like screw it. Oh wow, beautiful. Well, screw I mean, it. but you gotta give me a you gotta give me a choice. I don't want to. I'll just sing something you tell me to sing. And let me tell you, the guy Nathan, professional singer. I just I just gonna sing because you're telling me to. <laughs> don't expect too much. Okay. Well, I mean, in our previous interview, you you, you discussed that when you tried out for American oh. Idol, you sang "Build Me Up." I'm Butter. not singing that song. I don't actually don't want to sing that song. Give me another song that you like, like a nice song. Hmm. Or give me a few choices. <laughs> okay. How about, uh, <laughs> let's see. What will you know? What kind of music are you listening to? I like days? slower songs, like slower things, like ballads or oldies or whatever. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. No, I, or... Mama just killed a man. I put a gun against his head. I pulled that trigger. Now he's dead. 
I can do that. Thank you for listening to no. <laughs> okay, excellent. Oh. Um, well, I should have done more, but I was nervous. Okay, that was beautiful though. You do have a good voice. Then thank, thank you, you for doing that. Um, all right, so at Greg Shahadi, haven't been tweeting as much as I, usual. I do got some things. I gotta give. I gotta give some shout outs to people. Yes, let's do it. Well, first I gotta give a shout out to Ashley. I promised I would give a shout out to Ashley because I didn't Ashley, last year. Ashley. Is, she a, is he or she a chess player? A fantastic chess player. One of the okay. best. What's up, Ashley? Um, yeah, and I just wanna talk about all the great people doing, like all the different like content creators, like Agatomator, you. Agatomator. I got it wrong. Okay. Levy, Levy Rosman crushing it. He Eric is crushing Rosen, it. Eric Rosen doing all the best yeah, stuff. Yeah, shout wow. out to Eric. Anna Rudolph, the Botez sisters. Um, I'm missing like you know you got you can't forget about the original chess bras, like they're still going strong. John Bartholomew, Lawrence Trent. Oh, slow down, slow down. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like these people are just doing such wonderful things for the um, chess community, and I probably forgot about some really like Jen, my sister. Let's not leave oh, her out. Yeah. Who's doing those U.S. women's um, classes that are just awesome? Yeah, shout out to the Mad Woman's Book Club um, as well. Yeah, so like. I just shout. I just want to shout out all those people, and I know I forgot about a lot of people doing wonderful things. But it's great to see. It's great to see these people uh, elevating the image of chess around the world. That's all I wanted to say. Okay, excellent. Good, good note to end on. I think you can still jump in if you think of anyone else. But for now, we will we will preliminarily say goodbye at Greg Shahadi on Twitter. Uh, someday the Pro Chess League will will resume. Oh, I forgot about one more question. Hikaru, I forgot to mention Hikaru. Like, oh yeah, he's, he's the big yeah. the big dog. It's like you don't even think about him as a content creator, but he's Crazy, like yeah. crushing it. Um, I think he's at nine hundred thousand Twitch followers or something. Yeah. I, I, I can't even keep track. But so you were you were the man behind the curtain with Chess Twenty Four's fantasy contest. For oh a while. yeah, oh, yeah. Um, so for any listeners who participated in those, Greg was the one designing those. Um, what's the status? Are you, are you still going to be doing that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Probably hmm. not. <laughs> no. But I would love to. I'm always happy to do it. Okay. But they haven't asked you lately. Correct. Okay. All right. But I, but I love them anyway. Yeah, they're good, good people. They, they, um, the, the, chess, the chess tour is so fantastic. Oh, and let me talk about how much I love David Howell and Yovanka. Yeah, they were uh, great. They I really were... like them. I like watching that coverage better than experience, like better than coverage like that's geared towards like experts or masters. I don't know why, because it's weird. It's like they're explaining things to a total beginner. I'm not a beginner, but I enjoy watching that more. Maybe because it's like I get to figure things out myself because I'm good enough to do that, I guess. Yeah, so this is uh, Grandmaster David Howell, who's been on the show. Uh, Grandmaster... I think she's a grandmaster, Yovanka Hauska, um, many-time British women's champion, and uh, Katya Snare. Um, we're doing the broadcast for Eurosport, for anyone who didn't catch them, but you could also watch them online. So, um, and yeah, and they do an amazing job. I mean, I'm, in, I'm impressed with all of them. Um, um, Katya, I believe that's how you say her name, is a great host. But I'm also, like, super impressed with with Yovanka and David's ability to, they just seem so natural explaining, like, like explaining what a pin is when, when you're like a 25 to 2700 player, like mm -hmm. just doing it naturally. It's they're not so, even. Yeah. They're so humble. They don't try to like show off ever. Yeah. They don't try to be like, here's some fancy line I see. They just only show like the simple, simple stuff. I also got to give a shout out. It's 
totally random, but I always feel like this person is like the most impressive person in the chess community. Mark Crowther, how he's been doing this Twix yeah, for, yeah, for like for sure. 20 years. Like what, what is going on? Yeah, unsung. Take so this a vacation, is a, dude. Yeah, so this is the weekend hey. chess. He's been on the show too for listeners who are curious, but he he posts um he he collects all the games, all the big games that took place in the world and publishes them every week so that people can download them and add them to their database. And it's all donation driven. So any you know, anyone who avails themselves of it should definitely uh support Mark, uh, unsung oh, yeah. hero for sure. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Oh Chess Dojo, love them too. We're working yes. together with the US Chess School. Uh they're doing awesome things. Yeah, by the way, how did that partnership come about? Some Someone was well, um, you know, it was just becoming a lot of work for me to do it all on my own. And I wanted some enthusiastic, energetic partners that will kind of, you know, put it more in the limelight. And they seem like the right people to to go for. You know, I love I love Kostya and Jesse. I love how they think and talk about chess. Uh, and, and David works for them, too. He hasn't done a lesson for the U.S. chess school yet. Um, but all three very, like, great chess thinkers. And teachers, yeah. And for, for any listeners who don't know what Greg's referring to, so the classes that Greg helps underwrite through his uh, fundraising and organizational acumen um, for the strongest young chess players in the U.S. Um, historically have been done at camps, um, obviously brick and mortar in real life camps. But now they're all being done online and they're being broadcast for free on Twitch, on Chess Dojo's Twitch channel, and they're also on uh, Chess Dojo's YouTube channel. So that's just an amazing resource to have people like Sam Shanklin and Johan Helston and Pontus Carlson and uh, so many more. I'm sure you you could name many more. Greg, Greg Shahadi himself, um, Kostya himself, a million more. We've had a lot of coaches, yeah. Yeah. So that's a that's just an amazing free resource, one of the many that people can find on uh, on YouTube. Um, or Twitch. Um, all right, Greg, we already said goodbye five minutes ago. Should we say it again? Sure, we can do it. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will catch you all next week. You're going to say goodbye or what? Oh, I, goodbye, everyone. I'll miss you. Oh, I can't wait to see you next year. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Big shout out to Matthew Passy, my producer, been helping us for over four years. Much appreciated as always. I also would like to thank everyone who helped spread the word about the show, whether it be by word of mouth or a positive review on a podcast platform. I can't even keep track of all the platforms anymore, but every review is appreciated. I also wanted to remind you guys, you are always welcome to follow me or Perpetual Chess on social media. On Twitter, I'm at Official one That's where I'm most active. We also have the Perpetual Chess Facebook group where we post every episode and sometimes the guests chime in to continue the conversation. The Perpetual Chess Instagram page is unretired. Follow us at Perpetual Chess where we post weekly clips. If you would like to email me, the easiest way is ben at perpetualchesspod.com. Also, of course, want to thank our sponsors, Chessable.com and ChessAim and ChessMood. Thanks for helping the cause, guys. Much appreciated and great products that I'm proud to be affiliated with. Last but not least, of course, I want to thank all of our Patreon and PayPal supporters. I would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities, Chessable.com, David Lazarus of LazmanChess.com, Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Abysmal Depths of Chess blog, 
Adapt to Interactive Web Designs and Services, The Apprentice Twitch Channel, Andrew Alharji, Andrew Bach, Anidi Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, The Charlotte Chess Center, The Chess Central's Chess Blog, ChessMood.com, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel He, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, I am Eric Rosen, Eric Tam, Ewan Richardson, Farhan Thawar, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harst, I am Greg Shahadi, Gregory Galuk, Guvin Manet, James Holyhead, James Kennedy, Jeff Martinson, Jens Green, Jeremy Nielsen, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John Cromarty, John MacArthur, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, King Cell, The King's Crusher YouTube channel, one of the OGs of Chess YouTube, Lucio Casada Silva, The Law Offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mike Zelazny, Mr. Mike Shahadi, the famous Mr. Dodgy, The Nerd Nays Twitch channel, Peter Sodi, The Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Reuven Fisher, Reverend Roy Fry, Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Gearson, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of StrongChess.com, Todd Kennedy, The Vintage Patsers, which is a Chess.com improver group, Wayne Beam, William Hogarth, and I also would like to thank Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alan and Maggie Sue, Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovitz, FM Andre Tarakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Chase, Brian Mullis, Bruce Scott, Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Chad Hilton, Chess Patser Spain, I'm not sure if that one's a real name, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, aka Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Corey Budson, Costa Caras, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsburg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Bleskoczek, David Brown, David Hamblin, David Cramley of Chessable.com, Dalen Shelton, Dennis Parrish, Dirk Durker, FM Donnie Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Emmanuel Langua Robitai, Ethan Smith, Hallelujah Cat, Ian Mason, Indrek Ryland, Felipe Melo Pereira, Fox Valley Chess Club, Francis Latart Lavoie, Dr. Frank Tortoris, Frank Zananis, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vanderveld, Gene Stewart, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, Han Schut, Harish Renivasan, Howard Vihan, Jacob Kovach, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Perry, James Aspinwall, James Bonastia, James Muir, Jason Woolham, J.D. Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Hoyland, Jerry Wells, Jim Ratliff, Joe Valdez, Joel Thomas Ramos, John Tully, Juan Almagar, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, Jeff Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joe Rocky, John Thompson, Josh Fridell, Kare Christensen, WGM, Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, Kevin Pryor, Kior Gata of the Lakeshore Chess Club, I am Kostyakovyutsky of the Chess Dojo, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Ryforth, Laura Boyowski, Macaulay Peterson, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matthew Passy, Matthew Tedesco, Matthias Plock, Mechanics Institute of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Gabel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Nigma Mulajanov, Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller Michaels, 
GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hallenbach, Robert Tichi, Robert Turner, Rory Coleman, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, The Say Chess YouTube Channel, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Sebastian Finsterwalder, Seth Ruzica, Shane Unger, Silver Knights Enrichment, Stefan Roller, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tom Edsel, Tomas Komanich, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Vishnu Srikumar, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Cheng of Chess1000.com, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks, as always, for the support, everyone. I will catch you guys all next week. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.